Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Toffelmeyer's Garrison V3 Bioclear. Welcome back to the Matrix. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name is Erica Huynh and we're joined today with Dr. Alice Huang to indeed talk about matrices. There's no denying that restorations form the bread and butter of our dental work, but there's a lot of finesse to creating the perfect restoration. In this episode, we talk about how to restore the classic 1-4-D arrow, how to assess it radiographically, rubber dam placement, how to choose the right matrix, assessing your contact and how to wedge. I know often I fall into the trap of just thinking, if it fits, it fits. But Alice talks us through the detailed thought process that goes into every step of restoring a tooth to ensure that you have predictable and optimal results every single time. So if you want to learn a thing or two about the matrix, then stick around. Coming out of dental school, we want to simplify things. Like, give me a protocol or give me a step-by-step procedure so I can a conclusion The reason why we find comfort in that is because it makes our lives easy and we can always fall back on the protocol. The protocol said this, and therefore I should do this. So that keeps us safe, but then it doesn't let us think about why we're doing what we're doing. And so when you first start practicing as a new grad, you don't get a choice. And even in the hospital, you don't get a choice. It is what it is. It's kind of like you are walking into someone else's kitchen with all the utensils and pots and pans, all the knives, and then you are working with That's a really good analogy, right? You just got to make use of what you've been given. You can't order stuff, and that's all right. And so if you have a protocol that said, please use the BioClear 5.5 millimeters matrix for the mesial concavity of the upper four. If you don't have it, you can't use it. And so my biggest advice for matrix selection is, number one, work out what why you're doing it. And number two, learn how to recognize the teeth shape and visualize what you're going to create. And then number three, learn how to use it. Let's use an example as like, let's talk about posterior restorations, the classic class two. Could you kind of talk me through what your thought process is like? I know you were saying how like every patient is different and there's no cookie cutter approach to every case, but what would you be looking at when the patient sits down and you realize, okay, they've got caries, um, it's the one for distal. Did you know, Erica, one for still occlusal is one of the hardest things. Is it really? <laughs> In terms of complexity scale, one for mm-hmm. still occlusal is the same as sinus lifts. My goodness. Why is that? What makes it so difficult? But if you think about it, surgery is actually really simple. Surgery is seeing where the defect is and then having access, open the flap, Do what you need to do, whether to remove the infection, whether to grow bone or put an implant. Do what you need to do and then close it properly. So surgery is really straightforward if you think about it. If you open it wrong, as in if you open the flap and then it's not fully 
fully exposed, you can't see what you're doing and therefore it's difficult. And if you don't close properly and there's gaping hole and then you don't get primary stability, primary closure, then you get infection and then that's not good. So surgery is actually really elegant and simple. Class two, on the other hand, is very difficult because, because there are so many elements to it. First, the patient doesn't have any pain. So they don't really see the value in doing the tooth because, oh, I'm here for the filling because my dentist said there's a hole. They're there and then they're just, all right, let's do it. And they don't feel good afterwards because it's numb and then they get pain afterwards from the injection site. So it comes Mm -hmm. from making sure they're fully numb and then isolating that area. Which clamp? And where are you going to put the clamp? Because then there's no space for the matrix to go through. And say if you're doing the 1-4, you want to clamp the 1-6 because you don't want to have the 1-5 clamped and then run out of room for the matrix, the retainer, and the wedge. If you're clamping the 1-6, you want to make sure the palate's numb. Do mm. buccal infiltration, palatal infiltration, make sure that everything is numb and then have the holes punched with the right distance and the right size because if the hole's too big, then you get moisture. If it's mm. too small, then there's so much rubber material that you can't floss it through. And if the patient has the 1-4 and the 1-5 crowded, or if the 1-4 is tipped and you get caries in a strange position, then you can't use that rubber dam frame and you can't use a standard Toffelmeyer matrix. How I approach the DO restoration is I look at the radiograph. How deep is it? And how deep is it pole-pull direction? And how deep is it towards a gingival direction? Mm-hmm. How much room have I got from the crestal bone to the base of the cavity that I think I will finish at? And therefore, do I need to do anything to the soft tissue? Do I need to crown lengthen? Or is it pretty straightforward to rubber dam isolate and go straight to the restoration. So those are the things that I look for from the radiograph perspective. From a clinical perspective, is is that arch crowded? Where is the marginal ridge? Are there any existing restoration? Say if the DO is already there, that's not good. And the M15 MO is there, that's also not good. And are mm-hmm. the contact areas in the right spot? Am I recreating that? Or, or am I shifting that? Do I need to polish the 1-5 and then recreate the contour for the 1-4? Do I need to put the holes in a different way so the rubber dam sits in the right spot? And then if the contacts are too tight, then you can't floss the rubber dam through. 
And so yeah. some in some cases, I would break the contact and then put the rubber dam down. So you're oh. able to place the rubber dam without causing sadness for the patient <laughs> because the physical flossing of the rubber dam actually causes soft tissue trauma. You don't want the patient to think or feel discomfort before you even start the restoration. <laughs> BOQ specialists have worked closely with dental professionals for over 30 years and they understand the unique challenges that you, as a dental student or graduate, will face at the beginning of your career. I know they helped me early on as a dental student and they can help you too as they offer a private banking experience and tailor their products for dental professionals. I can say they have great customer service. I've lost my password that many times and they've always been able to help me. Nothing like the experiences I've had with competitors. So if it sounds like they can help you too, get in touch with them for a chat. For more information, visit boqspecialist.com.au slash students or check out the show notes for more details. TNC's fees and lending criteria apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details. Before when you mentioned the rubber dam and getting the holes in the right spot and the right sizing of them. Do you have any tips on doing how to get that right spacing between teeth? Like obviously templates don't necessarily work because every mouth is different and people have different teeth and they're crowded in different ways or spaced out in different ways. Do you have any tips on how to get them in the right spot and the right sizes for them? If you have a model of the patient, I put the rubber dam on the model and then use a pen or, or marker or something to put the hole and then use a medium size for the molars and the smaller size for the smaller teeth. If I don't have a model, I will put the rubber dam in the mouth and then use a surgical pen or something you can sterilize to mark the dots with the rubber dam in the patient's mouth. If you don't want to do that, you can just imagine where the tooth is, which is the best way to go. Before you even touch the tooth, I would check the tooth, have a look at the tooth. How wide is it and how round is it? And where is a contact area? It's never a point. It's always an area between the 1.5 and 1.4 in relation to the buccal lingual position. And then how, where is it? Gingival in occlusally. And do I need, do I want to recreate that or do I want to recreate my uh, completely different shape? Then remove the caries and do the rough kind of prep. You kind of visualize that all the time. Where do I want to get to and what do I need, what do I need to use? So between the two teeth, if I need a mold, that's this high and this wide, then I will pick whichever matrix, whether it's metal, plastic, that's going to give me that as a scent. If it's too bulbous, then it's, it's going to crush when you put the retainer in the wedge. Does that make sense? What do you mean by if it's too bulbous? As in if the convexity is too much, there's various shapes of matrices. Some of them are flat, 
Toffelmeyer is completely flat. And sectional matrices are bulbous, as in it's convex. So you're able to recreate the convexity of the distal surfaces. There's various widths and heights of the matrix. And so with that defect in mind, you've removed the caries on the distal of the 1-4. High is a defect. Is it 4 millimeters, 5 millimeters, 6 or 7 millimeters? And therefore, with that in mind, you're picking the matrix itself to give you that. And how bumpy is it? Is it, is it flat or bumpy? Too bumpy, what happens is when you put the matrix on, and then you put the wedge on and you put the retainer on, the bumpiness will get crushed because it gets squeezed in that tight spot. And then when it's squeezed and if the matrix is deformed, then your restoration is deformed and then the patient will get shredded floss. And so every single step, you're not doing it for fun. You're always thinking about the end result. How you're going to get there is pretty easy when, when you know what shape you're creating. You were saying before, Alice, about you know, the contact and assessing how high it is and how wide it is. How do you go about assessing whether the contact you're going to create is what you want it to be? Because I feel like you know, the way I've done it, it's okay, put the matrix in, wedge it, not really thinking too much about it. And then afterwards, it's just like, oh, I got a contact, but I don't think I'm really thinking much about, oh, is it a wide contact? Is it a light contact? Is it skinny? Is it wide? How, you, how do you go about assessing all of that and knowing based off your matrix placement what your end result will be like? Understand the system that you're using. So say, for example, there's so many brands out there that will give you that different bumpiness, different heights, and the physical placement of the retainer gives you a certain amount of separation between teeth so you're placing this on so you're separating the one four and one five by how much so some of them will separate them more some of them will separate them less and so when the matrix is squeezing the one four and one five really tight then the pdl movement is there so the one four one five will separate a little bit and then if you used a super bumpy thing and then you let go of that, the physical yeah. rubber dam will pull the teeth together because they're elastic. They'll pull the teeth together. And between the two, as a result, then you get a super tight contact. Uh, it's kind of like cooking. <laughs> so you, how, much, <laughs> how much salt, pepper, vinegar, how much you put, you have a recipe. The company would tell you this is of that ounce of separation. Or that is that ounce. So you can even read up on that. To me, it doesn't make sense to even think about what brand I'm using because every case, it's different. And once these go through the autoclave, you don't know if, the, if it's the same amount and the tooth doesn't know how much ounce it's being separated by. And there's various factors. If the patient's got perio, then it's going to move more. Um, how far are your holes in the rubber dam? If it's too, like, positioned too tight, then your teeth will move more. And so I recommend practicing on a model as many times as you can without the patient um, involved. 
That's a good point. Yeah. Kind of, you get to kind of feel how tight this is, and then you get to figure out how strong the the matrix wedge is, because there's one. This system has four different types of matrix. So that combination, there's infinite amounts of combination between the matrix, the wedge, how much adapt, how how well is adapted to the tooth, how much contact、um, you're going to create, and you can even mix and match the systems as well. Digital dentistry is a booming field that is becoming more popular by the day. If you've hesitated taking the plunge into what is a rapidly growing sector of our profession, then look no further. Avant Dental is a dental laboratory that specializes in digital dentistry. Avant Dental provides a range of services to dentists: digital splints, digital waxups, implant guides, implant prosthetics, to our bread and butter crown and bridge work. They can do it all. Not only does Avant help in making sure you're doing everything right, but they are strong advocates for educating dentists. They've opened a new education center for clinical-based training sessions on all the latest techniques. Give them a call today, or visit them at www.avantdental.com.au to find out more. A bit about wedges, and you know, what's the difference between using wooden wedges versus the plastic wedges, and the different sizes? How do you know? Is it just if it fits, it fits, or you know, how do we、um, assess our wedge choice and our placement of it, and how we insert it? Part of it is from the pre-assessment of looking at the tooth, looking at the X-ray, the space bit. Below the contact area on the X-ray, the black space. How much tissue retraction do you need in that triangle space? And therefore, what do you use a skinny wedge or a bigger one? So part of it you can tell. Part of it is trying a couple of different things during the procedure itself. And so I use a wooden wedge if I need to customize it a little bit. Say if I need to make it skinny, then I'm able to use a high-speed handpiece to make it skinny. If you have a deep decay, and I need some tissue retraction, a rubber dam retraction on the gingival floor, but then the caries is deeper, then I'm able to customize the wooden wedge and make it shorter where I need it. And so the wedge is sitting beneath the cavity. Yeah, so you're able to customize the wooden one a lot more compared to the plastic ones. Plastic ones have different、um, shapes to them, and so the plastic ones slide between the teeth easier. So you know when you have rubber dam and then you're trying to put the wedge in, and all the rubber dam then gets squashed together. You get bleeding, and then you have to like wash the tooth again. <laughs> Yes, that's familiar. <laughs> and you have to decide: Oh, do I wash it again, or should I should I etch again? So the plastic ones, you can dip it in glycerin gel, slide it through between the teeth without causing too much of that bunching. 
and too much of a tissue trauma. Both of them have their indications for it and there isn't a specific protocol. Please use this. That seems to be the lesson from today is that there's no specific protocol. You work with whatever kitchen utensils are already there. <laughs> a lot of dentists ask me about combs of veneers. How do I do them? What matrix do I use? How do I make them nice? And I use various methods and some of them are stent-based, some of them are freehand, some of them I use Toffelmeyer matrix. And so they don't always have to be fancy and some of them can be custom bent, say this is Toffelmeyer, and then you can make them bendy, you can make them curved. I use this to protect the other teeth from etch and sandblasting. So you're just getting creative with using what it is. I get a better result sometimes with <coughs> Toffelmeyer. Using that for not the traditional purposes. But speaking of Toffelmeyers and I guess working with what we have, I wanted to ask about teeth where before we were talking about the example of like a 1415, um, like the 14 distal occlusal, what about for like lone standing teeth where it doesn't have a friend next door and it's on its own? Do you still use Toffelmeyers? And I had a friend that actually wanted to know a little bit more about like auto matrices, like for those lone standing teeth, how do you go about restoring them and do you use matrices for them? Yes and no. Yes, it will make your life so much easier. So wherever possible, use a matrix because it will give you a stent to place the restoration incrementally and give you a shape. For a lone standing molar or molar tooth, whatever it is, if it's leaned, it's more challenging to restore because there's less surface on one side and more surface on the other side. And Toffelmeyer is pretty simple to use. Um, one method I, that I use is use the Toffelmeyer and then Usually when you put this in, there, there'll be a massive gap in the gingival seal. There's, it's like open and gaping. Blood coming in. <laughs> so um, if you see a, a gaping hole, don't restore them. So put the Toffelmeyer in and then put an additional sectional matrix inside. Placing the sectional matrix that's more adapted to the tooth surface against the tooth and then you're using the Toffelmeyer as a retainer to wrap. After doing that, you'll probably still have a gaping hole in the gingival floor. And so um, have sectional matrix and then put some Teflon against the mesial part or between the gingival sulcus and the matrix, Toffelmeyer matrix. Uh, to just stop it coming out you're sealing it from the outside yeah so it's like you're using the teflon to seal it from the outside but then you're using the sectional to get that better shape and then the toffelmeyer just to hold it in place yeah yeah you're, you're not using the teflon as a matrix so all of that yeah. surface is uh, the composite has to sit on the matrix you're restoring it against the metal matrix but you're using the toffelmeyer as a as a holding thing, you're using the Teflon as a moisture control and also to allow these things to sit tight against the tooth. Yeah, that's a really good tip. Do you ever use automatrices or do you know much about them? Yes. 
I use them too. They don't tell me about them. They don't work all the time. Yeah. In what cases are they good? Lone standing molars, they're great. Mm-hmm. So use a combination of automatrix and an an extra sectional matrix inside. Mm-hmm. Something. How does how does that automatrix actually differ from like a Toffelmeyer? Like what makes it a little bit more easier to use or in what situations? The automatrix is easier because you don't have this great big metal handle thing coming out of the mouth. Yeah. It's with really limited mouth opening. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're working on the 4-8 and then you've got the external ramus and soft tissue and everything and imagine putting this there's no space to fit the retainer for my retainer so in those instances i would put the automatrix on yes. the lingual side the tightening bit on the lingual side so you're mm-hmm. able to create the restoration contour everywhere 360 but then you've got the tightening thing on the lingual side and then you can you don't need the retainer poking out in different directions yeah that's a good point but then you'd still use it in similar manner to what you're describing before how you might combine it with a sectional to get a better shape because we don't really get that much from like the automatrix or toffelmeyers do you this is just another question but do you ever burnish like sectional matrices or is that a no-go i have a uh, educational post on my instagram about that topic so yeah. in dental school, we were taught to burnish with the round ball burnisher. Ball burnisher. <laughs> and mindlessly, you're doing that all the time. I'm, I was doing that all the time. Yeah. And then I realized that's actually deforming my matrix because when the bump becomes super bumpy, <laughs> the floss <laughs> is going to shred. Every time you go mm-hmm. up and down, it's going to shred. So... I do burnish sometimes, but with a, a bit of cotton on my tweezer, mm-hmm. so it's a smooth surface, or with a mm. micro brush that's not going to create a super bumpy contour. I see. So you respect the contour, yeah. but then you can push it against the adjacent tooth very gently. So it's more so guiding it and pushing it gently and not just like rubbing it aggressively with a metal ball burnisher, hey? And I think that will be part of doing a lot of practicing outside of the mouth because you get a feel for how much pressure you you're gonna you can put and how much pressure you need to mold the metal matrix against the other tooth and not deform it or not displace it. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.